0: some say that meditation is the consummation of human fulfillment That real development in meditation is the the deepest kind of development that a human being can undergo i don't know i know it's been very helpful to me i'm sure there are other things, many other things that I have not tried. But before we uh, come to such, let's say, exquisite levels of human fulfillment, a lot of what we're learning in the practice is the art of taking care of ourselves. I think we thought we learned that, you know, from mommy and daddy and from the school system. And in some ways, probably many of us did. All kinds of commonsensical, useful and intelligent and wise uh, ways to take care of ourselves. But from the point of view of Dharma, the work has really just begun. Traditionally, there are three realms that uh, practice takes care of or provides us with opportunity for development along these three lines. Uh, Sila, Samadhi, Panya. Sila is ethical training. Uh, Whether you know it or not, on Friday evening, I don't know if you agreed to it, but you were alerted, not uh, kill, steal, sexual misconduct, avoid sexual misconduct, speech, wrong speech, and not to use intoxicants. That's one form of uh, a kind of an external standard, which can we can use as a guide uh, to help protect ourselves from ourselves. And on a retreat, uh, it's, I imagine, relatively safe. There's not a whole lot you can do here. Although I think, see killing? I don't know, I guess a few bugs? Lying? I'm not going in the right order, but anyway. Uh, I don't know. You know what you say in the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> dealing. So far I don't think there have been any signs when we go through the line. I know sometimes there are. Uh, Please, uh, one per person, one serving per person. I suppose, I know in the past, I'm sure that some of us have looked around and taken two, Mm -hmm. or come back quickly before anyone else can come back for a double. Uh, You know, pretty small time stuff sexual misconduct i don't know unless we're really naive I don't. which could be i don't think there's a lot going on here except in your minds of course <laughs> yeah. Yeah. for those of you who are new here it's important to learn some of the folk culture uh, for example if you hear a phrase vr that means vipassana romance that means that uh... it's something you concoct in your mind without ever having having spoken one word to the person. And you go through the entire life cycle, including divorce. If not during the retreat, when you start to speak, it happens at the end of the retreat. When you find out the meaning of projection. I don't know, I don't think anyone's shooting up or has some booze stored in their room. Who knows? I don't know. So, by and large, and we're kept out of trouble, and, you know, the speech, we're quiet so much, so that, uh, following our breath so much, our footsteps and so forth, so, uh, that protects us, because the degree to which we um, don't follow these just universal precepts. There's nothing special. It's sort of a basic minimum to live as civilized people with one another. Uh, Yet in the world today, obviously, uh, it's at a much lower standard than the five precepts. Forget about wisdom, concentration, all that stuff. And so we come to the second, that is the, the first, of course, is the protection of Reminding you to not do certain things that um, have proven to, not because of a higher authority, because, but because uh, our own wisdom can see that these courses of action produce suffering. When we lie, when we steal, when we misuse sexual energy and so forth, uh, inevitably the outcome is not a happy one. And more and more, um, the mind listens to wisdom it listens to reason and uh, avoids doing things which uh, cannot end in a good way and so that's protecting us, that's useful, that's helpful and when it's done at its best in this practice it comes out of intelligence out of learning, not out of uh, because the teacher said so or the Buddha said so or a higher authority but your own innate wisdom, you begin to see that it's just not a good way to live. It's not a form of puritanism or some kind of uh, self-righteous imposition because there's a joy in being able to go to sleep at night without worrying about something that you've done wrong. And then we move on to the uh, the second uh, which is uh, what we've been doing a lot of sometimes called Samadhi Bhavana I've been using the term shamatha sometimes they use interchangeably kind of for the mind to become unified and we've been uh, to review what we've been doing using the breath (laughs) is that funny? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) to review what we're doing I guess it is, you've heard it so often, the last of it is. Um We're using the method of Anapanasati, full awareness of breathing. And This is a, a sermon the Buddha gave. And this evening what I'd like to do is to begin to uh, sketch out what is called the condensed method. There is a method which uh, has 16 contemplations. It's a classical method, uh, very useful to go through it. But there's also a method that compresses or uh, accomplishes pretty much the same end with only two steps. It's very good for Americans or modern people. Uh, It's used in Asia. Uh, in the condensed method uh, the first part is samadhi that is the first part is using the breathing to calm the mind, concentrate the mind unify the mind and that's what we've been doing by coming back to the breath time and time again by uh, more and more not biting at all the lures that the mind throws up come on over here, get over there, get involved with this one. Little by little we learn how to disengage from that. And instead, come back to the breath. We start to notice more quickly uh, when we're away from the breath, our reflexes kind of develop. We stay away, uh, not as long, and our mind departs from the breath less frequently. Till finally, if you keep doing this, it's possible to really become absorbed in the breathing and to enter into states of uh, deep stillness and peace for extended periods of time so at first calm is something that's incidental, it comes by accident or now and then, a breath here we cop a breath here, a breath there then it becomes more moderate but uh, larger spells of uh, continuity in our ability to be with the breathing, and with that comes more calm. And there also comes a, a time where uh, the calm can be for long periods of time, very long periods of time. Uh, the value of this, and what I'd like to do is uh, suggest a few of the useful qualities that perhaps we've been learning over these last few days, and you may know others that, are, that I'm not mentioning. in taking up the breath as an exclusive object uh, in coming back to it time and time again uh, we have to ask ourselves why we do this Why why did the Buddha suggest this as the first thing to do, which he did over and over again. Now and then, uh, people do start with vipassana itself, inside itself, before having samadhi, or a calm and steady mind. But overwhelmingly, the the, um, mode of practice is to begin with calm. Um, In order to fully understand the value of what we've been doing, uh, uh, one term, a simple term uh, which I'll be using uh, many of you know it but some of you who are new may not it's called kilesas kilesas are sometimes translated as toxins, mental toxins these are tendencies in the mind towards greed hatred and delusion you no doubt have heard that uh, and if you examine your mind you find that an enormous amount of time in the mind is spent caught up in one or another of these. Where the mind is in a state of wanting things, all kinds of variations on that, gross and subtle. Where the mind is in a state of not wanting things, again, quite a bit of variability, from evasion to aggression, And then uh, the delusion is when the mind is uh, confused, ambivalent, going around in circles, not clear, fuzzy. And what the Buddha is saying is that these uh, three aspects of mind, uh, these three qualities, characteristics, compose a huge amount of what goes on in our mind. And... um, What we're learning is uh, in coming back to the breath over and over and over again, letting go of where the mind tells us we should be, some story, some memory, some futuristic imagining, etc. What we learn is a skill that is invaluable in living, not just at IMS, but in any aspect of living. We can learn how to put our attention where we want it to be and to keep it there for as long as we want it to be there. This is the beginnings of that kind of training. Now, Even those of you who are really new, I I think you can imagine how valuable that might be. If you were able to have uh, be able to guide the mind in such a way that you could place it where you want it to be and keep it there for as long as you would like it to be there. Now, some people have this skill in terms of all kinds of external challenges. I'm sure good brain surgeons, etc. Probably all of us in this room have some area of interest and competence, something that we love to do, where we're highly concentrated. But it's a rare human being who has that quality of attention when it's themselves that they're interested in, when when it's your brain that you're looking at, not the patient's. That seems to be very, very difficult for all of us. And so this is the beginnings and training of that kind. And you can see that uh, as we learn how to transfer that, it's not meant to remain in the meditation hall. And that's part of why we encourage you, if you notice in interviews, those of you who I've had interviews with, I ask you about your yogi job. It's not just to talk up the job, so that you, it's to impress upon you that the job is as valuable as what you're doing here. It's another opportunity to pay attention. It's another opportunity to be undivided, to be intimate with what you're doing. And the whole practice is it's based on that. Okay, so that's uh, one kind of value, that, uh, a pretty dramatic one. But why did the Buddha put this first? Why did he say it's so important to develop calm first? And what he suggests is that uh, the reason this is done is that uh, it's, in a sense, out of compassion for us to give us relief from these kalesas. Now, maybe you didn't know you needed relief from the content of your mind. But if you've been trying to be with the breath, one of the the, uh, interesting lessons that everyone learns uh, when you first take up breathing as an object of meditation, as you find how difficult it is to do. You find that the mind is totally wild. And perhaps you also see uh, how preoccupied the mind is, that it has got all kinds of things which which it prefers to think about. Now the other thing, and I don't know if you've seen this, and here's getting closer to what the Buddha has in mind, When you look closely at the nature of the ordinary mind, the mind that is not coming back to the breath, not the breath, but where you've been taken to time and time again, I think that you will find that, uh, th- that you're having a lot of thoughts, a lot of images, a lot of emotions, whatever we call it. The mind is producing things, fabricating things, secreting things, over and over and over and over again. And if you look carefully, most of them do not lead to peace. If they did, we wouldn't be here. Why would, what do we need this for? You know, we're all just... Uh, we have a beautiful mind that just thinks beautifully all the time, and we're just uh, glow-in-the-dark. The truth is, when you look carefully, you see that uh, we're harming ourselves a lot, because, after all, these thoughts, which are often painful ones, which are uh, anxious ones, frightening ones, which uh, condemn us, condemn others, uh, This is what I meant by taking good care of ourselves. One of the things that anyone who does this practice learns is that we have a ways to go before we really can take, can genuinely take good care of ourselves. Because all of those moments are moments of pain, subtle or sometimes quite intense. They certainly don't lead to to inner peace. Now the Kalesas, greed, hatred, and delusion, in a way is a shorthand for all of that's coming up. It's not saying everything, but if you look, a lot of what's happening are one form or another of these tendencies in the mind. Wanting, not wanting, confusion. And so here, uh, well, where does the protection come in? How does our samadhi samadhi bhavana, the training and development in this unification of the mind, uh, protect us? Uh, the way it can go is that as you do the practice and please those of you who are new, be patient because this is uh, your mind has had a lot of practice in being wild, and it doesn't get tamed in nine days not re- you know some development can happen, of course, but you have to understand it's a gradual and uh, sustained kind of training that's needed if you look at the mind, and you see its natural state in, the, in much of the time that it spends away from the breath, I'm speaking now in terms of our retreat. Uh, perhaps you'll see that uh, much, of the t- much of the thoughts that we have, mental concoctions, fabrications, do not lead to peace. And also, if you look, another obvious fact emerges, if you can stay with the breathing Let's say you stay with the breathing for 10 breaths and you notice that you feel a little bit of peace. Maybe it's just five seconds. Well, there's some, a lesson here to be learned if you're willing to learn it. The lesson is something like this. It's very simple and a lot of Buddhist learning goes this way. It's like, put your hand on your fire, get burned. Take it out, I won't do that again. So you learn that one. That one's easier. But many things in life are just like fire, only they're decked out uh, in a different outfit, or they have a different name. It doesn't say fire, and yet it says says beauty, and yet we touch it, or whatever it is. I don't mean to put beauty down. Uh, What you can learn directly firsthand, and this is the only way in which it would really help your practice, is you begin to see that when the mind is roaming around like that, it's suffering a lot. When it goes, is able to stay with the breath, it begins to taste a certain quiet joy. Oh, that's interesting. When the mind is attentive to in, out, in, out, in, out, uh, I can see there's the beginnings of some happiness here. And when it isn't, when it's all over the place, you can begin to see that there's some suffering here. Now, as this pattern becomes clearer out of wisdom, you're going to prefer to come to the breath more often. You're going to realize, well, what am I missing? As someone said, you know, uh, this person had nine conversations with her brother in the mind. And that was just up as of this morning. I don't know, maybe there are more now. You know, where we say the same things over and over and over. Nine, that's nothing. We've been saying certain things for years. We have deep grooves in the mind say old resentments never healed things that we have been meaning to do that we never do etc I think we all know this well and so as you learn how to attend to the breathing and you begin to see that this isn't some kind of a just a a exercise in foolish stupid discipline you know just sort of get back to that breath you uh, you realize that there's some sense to it because our ability to stay with the breathing helps rescue us from the realm of the Kalesas. And so the relief that's being provided is from the uh, impact that the Kalesas have on the mind as they constantly discharge uh, toxins into consciousness. Am I being too extreme? I don't know, at least, let's say, for some of us, to be a little more modest in presentation. So, as this begins to happen, you can see there's a tremendous motivational factor that comes in. Out of your own intelligence, you begin to understand that uh, conscious breathing uh, is very precious, mainly because it leads to peace of mind, which is very precious perhaps the most scarce commodity on the planet right now. Just peace of mind. It's the beginnings of genuine peace of mind. Okay, so what happens is, as your ability to stay with the breath becomes more established, more continuous, you have protection from the ravages of the mind, from the uncontrolled assault of these kilesas. In Thailand, in the forest tradition, they use an image of um, a person who's had no training. I'm going to paraphrase it and put it into our culture a little bit. Uh, is like being a street person. That is, you have no protection. You're vulnerable to the weather, to the elements, to sun, too much sun, too hot, rain, snow, cold. Your possessions can be stolen. But where do you put them? You don't have them then you get a little bit more concentrated and they call that a a bamboo house. And then a wooden house and then finally a brick house. The brick house technically is what is called apana samadhi. That is when the mind really converges. The attention converges on the breathing and there's a deep absorption. It's a state of concentration. But from the point of view of what I'm talking about here, it's a, a refuge. It's, a, it's, taking, it's one meaning of taking refuge in the Dharma. It's very concrete. It means that there are times when the mind is in such pain. Now, we're, we're not getting to wisdom. Wisdom, of course, is finally what will help us most of all. But tonight, we're pointing out how samadhi can be of help for us. I'm going to mention a few ways in which it's helpful. We're not so helpless. Supposing you have uh, uh, something that comes up, it's so overwhelming that you're unable to really be mindful of it. It's too strong. Maybe you're, uh, uh, it's very, very clear. If you try to practice vipassana with it or understand it, uh, it just gets worse and it just um, devours you or you get lost in it. Wouldn't it be helpful if you could? And with practice it can be like this, where you can... It's like changing the channel from channel suffering to channel breath. Where you're able, again, knowingly, it's not suppression or repression or denial. It can be used that way, but that's not what's being suggested. Knowing full well what is happening to you. You say, thank you very much. I think I'll go to the breath for a while. And you can become very, very deeply absorbed there are case studies. There's one I read in France during World War II, not using the breath, but a different method, where there was no anesthesia for for a yogi who had to have a uh, an emergency operation, appendectomy, and uh, his method was a picture of his guru. I think it was Ramakrishna, and so he just put Ramakrishna and obviously had a very uh, deep relationship with this. It's an uh, Indian saint and went into a very deep state of absorption they did the operation and uh... he was still in it when the operation ended They finally came out of it Uh, it's in a french medical journal believe it or not totally not acknowledged and bypassed you know irrelevant maybe not so much anymore i don't know but uh... i don't know if you have a ramakrishna but you do have breath and it's the same process as you surrender to the breath as you learn how to hand yourself over to the breathing. You have an alternative. You have an option that you didn't have before. Uh, You have an option to step out of the line of fire. At least temporarily. Now, when you do that, you're not uprooting the problem. Of course not. This is not a Hollywood ending. But what uh, you are doing is Uh, refreshing yourself, giving yourself um, relief. Not a small thing. The other thing is that you're not strengthening these kalesas. Even though you're not uprooting them, you're also not deepening them. Because every time we attach to them, we identify with them, we deepen them. We're planting seeds all the time. I didn't know... You didn't know you were a farmer, but that's what we're doing. These are seeds that are planted in the mind. Whatever we do uh, is contributing to what we'll be doing in the future, what we'll be experiencing in the future. We're making up our future right now by how we behave, how we think, feel, act, and so forth. And so in those moments when we're resting in calm, when the samadhi practice is uh, operating, Those are moments when we're not strengthening the negative tendencies, which are uh, happening a lot in our life. Okay, So that's uh, another value. But that sounds minimal in a way. It sounds like, well, it gets you out of the line of fire. uh, It gives you some relief. But actually, it can be more positive than that. That is positive. What I just said is, of course, useful. At least to me it is. But there's something else that happens which is very important in a yogi's practice. When you start to taste some of the joys of a concentrated mind, of a steady mind, of a unified mind, that is what's happening is all the divergent energies of the mind which are all over the place and by now I'm sure you know them, uh, by means of the breathing the breath becomes the vehicle. The breath, the body, the mind, it all comes together. There's a unification. if we have time, excuse me. Uh, go to that part of the sutra, which uh, the, the sermon of the Buddha. If, if not today, we'll pick, we'll continue. Um, there's a kind of happiness that comes from a concentrated mind that's invaluable. It's not just that it gets you away; gives you relief from. the the turmoil or the pain of certain things that are in our consciousness, Uh, let me, the first time it happened to me, there's a happiness that you experience, there's a joy and a peace that comes from just uh, sitting in in concentration. Because remember, when the mind has let go of its preoccupations, that's what I mean, for whatever period of time, it's those preoccupations that are synonymous with suffering, much of the time obsessions, fixations, and so forth. So when the mind is empty of that, when the mind is free, there's a wonderful, uh, marvelous quality to the mind. It's unmistakable. Now, what that does, of course, is it inspires you to have more faith in the practice. You may have some degree of faith, but uh, maybe it's because of a need. Maybe it's because of some teacher who you respect, or a book, or... You just want to fit in. I mean, everything's in style. Buddhism is in style now. Everyone's got to meditate. The day of organic vegetables, that's passe. It's meditation now. (laughs) I mean, organic vegetables are fine, but it's not enough. Body work, all of that. Meditation. Everyone's meditating. At least in Cambridge, it seems that way. Mm -hmm. Or getting ready to. (laughs) (laughs) Someone on the retreat told me they're here because they read about Someone, uh, One of the writers from the Wall Street Journal did part of a retreat here and wrote glowingly about how this is not for crazies. It's valuable. So he's here. He's a businessman. Okay. The higher happiness uh, gives you the energy to, to go further. But here in a concrete way is how it helped me because uh, I'll never forget this. One day after having a it wasn't on a retreat, it was at home, having just an extraordinarily beautiful sitting, a few sittings. And uh, I was happy during it. And then I, took, I, went, I left, I had some things to do, and I just, I live in Cambridge, I took a walk into Harvard Square, and I felt just such happiness. And then uh, having that kind of a mind, more then, fortunately, than now, you try to figure out why I was happy. Well, why am I happy? Uh, No one said I was handsome or brilliant. I still don't have enough money. Uh, And I just went down. The the weather, it's not particularly beautiful out. All those reasons which make a person happy. I can't account for this happiness. Well, wait a minute. How could it be there? Maybe it doesn't even really exist, but it did exist. It was palpable. And I realized this is a happiness that's not dependent on such externals or not as dependent. It's something that... uh, The peace is not imported from India. It's inherent. It's in all of us. It's just a matter of tapping it. It's a matter of letting go of all the obstructions to it, the barriers to it. When we were born, we all got this. None of us in this room have been shortchanged. We all have it. It's a, a, a feature of nature. It's part of consciousness. It's not particularly Buddhist or anything, any otherist. It's human. It's beyond human, whatever it is, it's there. So that's very helpful, of course. Then uh, you buy tickets for Burma or Thailand or someplace like that until you have a bad sitting and then you, you cash in the tickets for Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other benefits that come from uh, being with the breathing this just is we learn the beauty of simplicity. I don't know if any of you have learned it yet, but uh, this has always been true. Even in the time of the Buddha, when it was a much simpler w- way of life, uh, still the mind was complicated. But in our time, things are very complicated. Very. Most of us come out of very complex situations, and our minds are becoming more and more complicated. You know, the information superhighway, what's going to happen? Boy, we're going to be so full of knowledge. It's wonderful, I can hardly wait. <laughs> <laughs> David Bohm calls that endarkenment. He's a scientist <laughs> uh, who calls the knowledge that uh, is a barrier between you and enlightenment. He said if there's enlightenment, then there should be endarkenment. It's not that there's anything wrong with knowledge. It's a misuse of it. So we learn uh, simplicity. We learn, if you need to learn it, you learn that, look at that. Uh, it's possible to be perfectly happy, even very happy, on such uh, short shrift, very little, just an in-breath and an out-breath. How could it be? How could we be so happy when uh, there's no technology involved? There's no. It's not that expensive. I mean, you do have to pay something to get here, but it's kind of a bargain when you come down to it. But you can learn some of the beauties of of simplicity uh, from the breathing. And then, of course, there's uh, simplicity is is more than just breath. It's a, a kind of an approach to living. And that can be very, very helpful. You can also learn, and uh, we intentionally teach it this way, uh, the the importance of surrender. Because as you'll see later on in the retreat, we're learning how to surrender to the breath. If you've listened to the instructions over and over again, we're saying allow the breath to go its own way, to follow its own nature. If it's deep, if it's shallow, if it's fine, if it's coarse, you've heard this many times. in short, to let go of your preferences and your calculations and schemes as to how you want the breath to be and just give up. And just let the breath be. Just let it breathe itself. So if you can learn to surrender to the breathing, that means you can learn to be intimate with breathing. And that's somewhat of a preparation for learning how to be intimate, how to surrender to fear, uh, boredom, Pain, etc. what's all the rest that's in the body and in the mind uh, that of course we're moving towards and I think you'll see that uh, what this, the, the surrender is uh, something that we're not used to we're used to actively trying to do something about everything and fix everything and here we can see that actually things fix themselves in a certain way if we learn how to relate to them in a, a radically different way so these are some of the the values that come out of uh, just taking up one object and beginning to um, disappear into it. Um, the sutra itself I'd like to move into that and to say a bit more as much as we have time for tonight. Starts off, maybe I'll read it, might be interesting for you. I left one out health. Maybe we'll just finish with this and I'll bring in the the sutra because the next time I want to show how uh, give you more understanding of this condensed method where samadhi and vipassana work together health let's see we have okay I think I can read something to you and then I'll give you health I won't give you health I mean I wish I could I can't give it to myself Okay, here's the Buddha. Uh, understand that this uh, sermon took place during a retreat, much as, as we're on right here. It was for three months. It was in India, and it went very well. And It's the first time the Buddha, the Buddha talked about breath awareness a little bit here and a little bit there. And on this particular retreat in Jetavana, particular grove where the Buddha uh, spent a lot of time teaching and practicing, Um, he gave uh, a comprehensive teaching on uh, breathing, which which is made up of 16 contemplations. And I'm skipping some of the part, which is very nice too, but he says, O yogis, the method of being fully aware of breathing, if developed and practiced continuously, will have great rewards and bring great advantages. It will lead to success in practicing the four foundations of mindfulness, If the method of the four foundations of mindfulness is developed and practiced continuously, it will lead to success in the practice of the seven factors of awakening. The seven factors of awakening, if developed and practiced continuously, will give rise to understanding and liberation of the mind. What is the way to develop and practice continuously the method of full awareness of breathing so that the practice will be rewarding and offer great benefit? It's like this, yogis. The yogi goes into the forest, or to the foot of a tree, or to any empty dwelling, and sits stably with crossed legs, holding his his or her body quite straight and arouses mindfulness. Breathing in, the yogi knows that uh, that he or she is breathing in. And breathing out, the yogi knows that they're breathing out. So all of that is familiar to you. And then the first of the 16 contemplations Breathing in a long breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing in a long breath. Breathing out a long breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing out a long breath. The second contemplation. Breathing in a short breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing in a short breath. Breathing out a short breath, the yogi knows I'm breathing out a short breath. Long breath and short breath is shorthand uh, for the quality of breathing. It's not limited to the length of the breath. What this is suggesting is you're getting to know the universe of breathing. Breath is a world. Aren't you more able to see distinctions in the breathing now? No two breaths are the same. It's uh, Even if you don't have the language for it, the words for it. And sometimes in interviews we ask, you know, like, please, uh, how is your breath right now? Um, so, step number one is to introduce us to the breathing and by paying attention to it, to begin to discern the various qualities that uh, the breath is uh, that is composed of. It's the beginnings of investigation, which is so important in our practice. Discernment. This capacity to pay attention and to begin to discern, to distinguish what's happening. And so this exercise includes these two contemplations, noticing when the breath is coarse or fine, when the breath is... Uh, uh, slow or fast and any other characteristics of the breath. Okay. So that's what is getting that's what uh, is starting off, that starts off the sutra. I'm going to have to end here except let me leave you with another benefit that the Buddha refers to. In Buddhism, uh, at least the original teachings of the Buddhism, you don't hear a huge amount about health. Uh, the Buddha will give certain very basic advice, like moderation. Eat moderately, sleep moderately, and so forth. That goes a long way, you know, if you can do that. If you can really learn uh, to not oversleep yourself, or undersleep yourself, or overfeed yourself, or underfeed yourself. Uh, So many of these TV, ads, programs, and so forth. But there's another way in which uh, the Anapanasati has health benefits. These are not stated so often Because the Buddha, the Buddha apparently was very concerned about people getting sidetracked and becoming obsessed uh, with either psychic powers or living forever, (laughs) one or the other or both. Okay, Uh, but what um, anapanasati is 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 really a form of pranayama. Some of you who have done yoga, uh, there's an exquisite, magnificent, brilliant science of breath in in yoga. Uh, in uh, hatha yoga, raj yoga, and pranayama is uh, an integral part of so, much, so many yogas. But typically the way the, the yoga is done is by controlling the breath. Uh, I'm not saying that's bad, but it's different than what we're learning here. By uh, beginning to regulate the breath according to certain counts, which are not arbitrary, uh, certain kinds of uh, deep breaths, uh, certain kinds of rapid, uh, fiery kinds of inhalations and exhalations. There are many, many di- different kinds of breaths. It's a whole science of breath that existed before the time of the Buddha. existed while he was there. Understanding what it means when the left nostril is mo- flowing more freely rather than the right nostril is quite a, a sophisticated science. Anapanasati that we're practicing, whether you know it or not, is also a form of pranayama although you don't regulate the breath at all the way we're teaching it you just leave the breath alone uh, perhaps you've already noticed that when the breath becomes conscious that is as you become mindful of breathing something happens to the quality of the breath it's not that you're trying to make that something happen it's a natural outgrowth of attention attention has a beneficial effect Mindfulness is said to be something that sets things right. So when you aim it at the breath, it improves the quality of the breathing. And for those of us who've been doing it for many years, it's quite extraordinary what happens. Now, when you improve the quality of the breathing, just by making it conscious, one of the the ways, reasons you're doing that, you're able to do that, is that as the thinking starts to thin out and then at least stop for a while, it's not impinging upon the rhythm of breathing. Whenever we, when the kalesas are happening, they are affecting how we breathe. They are affecting the, uh, the, uh, the health of the lungs and circulation. Everything breath is central for life. So as you attend to the breathing, in addition to developing concentration, without intending to do so, what you are doing is improving the quality of the breath. When you improve the quality of breath, of course it affects every function of the human body, the brain, everything. So it's a kind of another benefit that's not talked about too much, although it's implied. But it's, it's good for your health. The Buddha says that. But doesn't want to overplay it. Okay, we'll continue this. Um, tomorrow uh, the instructions will change. Please come to the first sitting after breakfast. Uh, we'll start to move the retreat in a, a somewhat different direction all based on this foundation of developing samadhi. Can we have a moment's silence? This talk was given by Larry Rosenberg at Insight Meditation Society on March 6, 1995. It is an offering of the Dharma Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.